I can hear you. You yeah. can hear me? Yes. I can hear you. Because I'm here. Good. Siri. Oh, and that's why Siri is terrible. <laughs> Where, I'm not, I don't want coding dojo. Okay. You didn't even say anything no. remotely okay. close to okay. that. Okay, don't talk. Okay. Siri, how old is Facebook? The answer I found is 14 years. There you go. So what's 14 years old and doesn't want immense federal regulation? Coming up. In this episode, we'll talk about Facebook and their 14-year apology tour, and also Gen Z and their changing attitudes towards devices. Welcome to Brilliant, a podcast about innovation, strategy, and design. I'm Justin Jurek, Vice President of User Experience at Mignani, and with me, as always, is the President of Mignani, Justin Dobb. I, I'm holding up my, my Vulcan, live long and prosper. I mean, you don't even have to do that, but that's like straight up legitimizing the nerd street cred right there. It's what I do. It's what, it's, it's what we all do, really. How's it going, Justin? It's going fine. Good. It's going fine. It's, uh, it was snowing again yesterday in Chicago. Yeah, uh, man. It's kind of a, maybe it's a, an omen. Uh, given what's going to happen today. Yeah. Zuckerberg. Perhaps. Yeah. The, we're, we are recording this on the day where, where Zucks uh, gets his public flogging uh, in front of Congress, which, you know, in a lot of ways is, is a long time coming. I know he sent proxies the last time, um, but, you know, he, he really needed to show up today. Well, I think he's a perfect example of, uh, as everyone says, it's far easier to ask forgiveness than ask permission. <laughs> That's basically been Facebook's operating principle since they were founded. Um, and you know what? It's worked really, really, really well, well to the tune of how many billion users now? Two? Two. Anyone with a device? Yeah, Eff- effectively. It's a really interesting time. You know, for social media in general, and I think the various platforms, right? Your Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, they're all starting to show, um, you know, the signs of wear and tear here. that. They've matured to a point, and now people are terrible <laughs> in aggregate. And, you know, when you create these ecosystems that are kind of freeform and open, those worst impulses kind of start to, to show up over time and get abused. Well, I think, you know, less so that all people are terrible. I think, you know, it just well, amplifies. No, not all people, <laughs> it just, but in aggregate. Well, in aggregate, I think people are generally good. But the trolls and the, and the bad people have, you know, a yeah. giant megaphone, right? Yeah, a and, huge one. And generally, we, we only remember, like, things that really get our goat, so to speak. And yeah. so, so when you see, you know, your, you know, that friend, if you still want to call him friend after social media, <laughs> who's, you know, ranting about something that just, you know, makes you, uh, you know, outraged. Yeah. Uh, you remember that, you know, you forget about all the puppies and the baby photos and the children, you know, sitting in flower pots. Yeah. Well, and I think, you know, as these technologies have matured out of just that kind of spot where, you know, people are sharing the moments that they enjoy and it's become more of a sounding board, they're basically the id, the subconscious rantings of maybe that like second cousin that you only see twice a year maybe usually maybe once a year but now can really like get at you is i think that's ultimately been what i has changed a lot of people's behavior and attitudes towards social media is that you may have been a perfectly fine acquaintance i saw a couple years ago but now you're like seeing that over and over again and it it kind of eats 
away at that social underpinning, right? Where maybe we <laughs> won't say the things. Any emotional connection you may have with that person? Yeah. So the interesting, Facebook just rolled out a tool where you'll be able to kind of go see which one of your friends is really promoting fake news. Hmm. Um, and, you know, the funny thing is, I don't really need that tool. <laughs> yeah. They're pretty obvious, yeah. really. When, you know, when they're, uh, everything's from RT. Yeah. You know. Well, that's a good tell. Or, or you know, these sites that, you know, with inflammatory.com domain names that you're like, hmm. Yeah, never heard of that. And it's, you know, obviously set up to be viral yeah. garbage. There was a really great study uh, came out a couple weeks ago. They, they looked at exactly what you had talked about earlier, right? That the predilection for individuals to remember the worst or the bad over the good. And how fast does bad news travel in social media is like infinitesimally faster than <laughs> the good news. And um uh, we'll maybe add a link to that article uh, in the description for this so you can go yeah. through because I can't I can't pull it out of thin air right now. But it was a really great unpacking of how specifically, right, those systems are now being capitalized on. Th- those um, predispositions of individuals to really reflect and amplify bad news in our political sphere, which is something we all know, right, this is happening. But they just put some science behind it. They did some studies to see like really how effective is it and it's tremendously effective well also the the worst part is there's been a lot of studies about even like once disinformation is spread even when it's corrected yeah people don't remember they only remember i think i heard you know yeah. fill in your disinformation of choice yeah and uh it's just really hard once something like that is out there to to pull it back i mean we've seen it you know, with anti-vax kind of opinion. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's, there's zero science behind it, certificates. But, but they're really rational people, generally rational, yeah. who just have this thing in the back of their head. Because I think I heard something that was like, it's not good. Well, it's, I mean, the classic, right? Disproving a negative, having to say like, the, the person having to say that he didn't beat his wife, that that whole yeah. thing, right? And Groucho like, Marx. Yeah, and now, and now you've got to argue a point that is just, blatantly false on its face now that so. you mentioned and i think if Groucho marx could have created a piece of performance art it might have been facebook it's it's the club everyone gets to be a member of but at this point nobody wants to yeah. be a member of but yeah. they can't leave well and, and so ultimately right this is the this is the great zuckerberg apology tour that he's on right now right Th- that he's been on for yes. effectively the entire lifespan of this because they're pioneering some of the social network stuff. So they keep stepping on landmines of well, data restrictions and it just overall their attitude toward the data itself, well, the personal data. Yeah, there's a great article in Wired actually this week. They, they go through his first series of, of apologies starting actually when he created prior to Facebook, basically at Harvard, a hot or not app oh, where right. he scraped everyone's photos from the Harvard online directory and you know, without anyone's permission put this stuff in there, and it just created outrage, obviously. People are like, all of a sudden, I'm being told I'm not hot, or even if I'm told I'm hot, which... Justin, you're hot. Thanks. Okay. Thanks, Justin. You're welcome. So are you. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> but um, if you read this apology, it's totally like, it's the same one he's giving today. Yeah. I don't know if you remember this beacon advertising that they... Oh, yeah. So yeah. there was a point where, like, you're signed into Facebook, you go buy something on Amazon. I mean, it could be something, you know wildly private health products or you know something you know let's you, say you can something imagine is, those things in your mind let's just say something as innocuous as dandruff shampoo but you know it's still yeah. like i don't want people to know i bought dandruff shampoo and it would be like 
all of a sudden in all your friends' Facebook streams was, hey, Justin just bought dandruff shampoo. <laughs> I do remember. And, you that know. That was terrible. You know, and, yeah. and if you go click this link, we get a cut of the dandruff shampoo that you buy. Of course, everyone was up in arms. Oh, First of all, you're, you're outing me for my, you know, health issues. Mm-hmm. Um, and believe me, there were far worse uh, things yeah, than that. Uh, yes. And, you know, the apology sounds the same. Oh, we, you know, we're sorry. We didn't think through all the ways people might misunderstand what our intentions were. Right. Yeah. I mean, I mean all, always their intention is to increase the revenue stream. Sure. And that, that's it. They will do anything they can to increase the revenue stream based on the data you're generating as a user. Yeah. And I think... There's also the posture of, I I read something recently that they were saying, and it was a great point that maybe we need to stop using the word user when we're, when we're designing because users are people. And when we use the word user, well, it, it puts up a little like psychological barrier in my mind. It it literally dehumanizes them and maybe not literally, figuratively (laughs) dehumanizes them. And it's an interesting point. We use the same terminology, you know, when we're designing experiences here, we said, we talk about users and a user, this group of users and that group of users. Well, but there are groups of people and people have, you know, uh, feelings, feelings and emotions. (laughs) And there are real world implications for the things we design. And I think ultimately that's all been ratcheted up with Facebook's involvement in the 2016 election and this Cambridge Analytica stuff has brought all that bubbling up to like a high boil. I think what we may be looking at, right, is regulations kind of started to, to chime in here, um, you know, much along the lines of what is happening in the EU regarding data, uh, privacy, and all of your rights as an individual to control what's out there yeah. in the world. And, you know, I'm a firm believer that being able to get more targeted advertising actually benefits people. Yes. Although some of it's pretty ham-handed, right? You always see retargeted ads Mm -hmm. for things you've either already bought or maybe looked at once and apparently weren't so convinced uh, of the need to own that you moved along. uh, And yet you still see that same thing in your your feed or in the you know, sidebar. But really, what needs to happen, though, I think, and I think what's going to happen, whether Facebook imposes it on themselves before the Fed step in or where the Feds just decide, you know, we're done with this, is that companies that collect that data to offer that service to advertisers are going to have to be a little more old school about here's our profile, we can, you know, general profile we can target for you, uh, and not let advertisers get to the specific data, right? Yeah. And they can't share it and they can't sell it and they can't, they can run a business on top of it because yeah. they're providing a service and, you know, we like, we know what people want and what they're doing here. We can help you access, you know, this demo, right? This yeah. target segment, um, even, you know, granular segments. Sure. But, you know, that ability to go find out, you know. On a per user level. Per user. I mean, there were people coming in uh, using the kind of, tool Facebook had where if I wanted to find people that I knew on Facebook, but maybe their profile was hidden, uh, I, but if I knew their email address or phone number, I could put that in and they would say, here, this is the, mm-hmm. the profile that pops up with that. And of course, companies out there will game the system and they were just flooding it with every phone number. Right. Suddenly now I can associate phone number with a name, with right. where they lived, where they went to college, whatever is available publicly on their on their uh, profile page, which is, you know, a treasure trove. Mm-hmm. Um, a, a lot of people really never set their privacy settings and they've got all of this data in there. And so people, you know, companies were coming in and just scraping tons of information. 
Yeah. Um, and they finally, like this week, said, oh, maybe that's not such a good thing. I think it's naive to assume that the engineers or the executives at Facebook didn't think that was going to happen. Right. Their whole thing has been, well, it's for the greater good. The more we can connect people, right. the better it is for the planet. But, you know, that's it's kind of proven true. not to be true. Maybe not true. Um, you know, I get it. I was telling my kids, like, you have to think of Facebook like fire. Yeah. It's... A, you know, highly useful technology, but you can you can burn everything down with yeah. it if you want to. Yeah. And we don't, as, as a society, have the kind of social pressures to prevent people from ranting and causing, you know, really harm to others yeah. with it. It's getting there. Yeah. And we, you know, the self-regulation part of it is kind of kicking in too. People sure. are like, I'm going to go there less. I'm going to post less. Yeah. I know you had your, your hiatus on I, the I, Facebook. I, I did. I did. The only real social media that I do with any kind of regularity is Instagram. And Instagram certainly has a higher percentage of puppies and kids in yeah. uh, flower pots. It's just a different medium in general. You know, when they lead with the image, by leading with the image, what I think ends up happening is it's a more of a real world equivalence because you, we lead with the image mm -hmm. in life. And if I say something negative to you, to your face, I see what happens to you in the world. Yeah. And if you make a negative facial expression, if you feel sad, I pick that up and I don't maybe do that as much, you know, or I know that it had that impact. I think this is an interesting pivot point about kind of people's changing attitudes towards social media. Also with um, a recent study that, that we ourselves conducted here with a bunch of Gen Zs. Gen Zs are the next influencers here and they're they're quickly approaching a, a maturity level here where they're going to have to start voting purchase power all that stuff is really coming into play well what's interesting is um i wish i could remember the name of the author but there's a book called the fourth turning that really talks about how um there's basically four generation cycles of like personality traits ultimately breaks it down into these 80 year cycles of you know yeah four 20 year reaction which reaction, since reaction. world war ii actually have been compressing Sure. Interestingly, probably because ideas and things can, trend, uh, yeah. can travel faster. The technology has enabled that. But what we're seeing, and, and you know, we'll talk about it a little bit here, is that Gen Z has watched millennials get screwed. Yeah. And they're very conservative. They're more likely, actually, to say they're going to buy a house, get married, have kids, like kind of traditional, very mm -hmm. traditional values, mm -hmm. whereas, uh, and less likely to um, pay for college. It makes sense because they just watched the generation prior to theirs pay a lot of money for college, more yeah. than any generation in history yeah. as a percentage of income, right? Pay for college and suddenly find like no jobs, right? Um, ridiculous amounts of interest on loans. And, you know, they're, they're just wallowing in yeah. this. Well, um, also, you know, they were children when they watched their parents suffer the impacts of the Great Recession of yeah. 2008. And, you know, I think that that has a lot of bearing. You know, the, the millennials were already, you know, teens in their late teens. Yeah. And, you know, your Gen, Gen Y, Gen X, we're, we're past that, right? We ruined uh, everything. Yeah, hooray. <laughs> um, but I think, you know, being a child and seeing some of the impacts of that yeah. um, are setting those tones. Now, interestingly, although they are maybe more conservative financially, they're also a little bit more like, well, they're a little more socially liberal, although, again, there's a still a stronger 
bent toward conservatism within yeah. that. Just in the approach on life. Yeah, right? for sure. So I've got uh, t- two daughters in their teens at this point, and like they have friends who are trans, they have friends who are gay, they have you know they mm-hmm. and and it's not a thing to them. They right. just don't think about it. Well, and think about too, like how different the media environment is to come up in, yeah. you know, they're seeing, you know, they are on YouTube, right? Yeah. And some of the YouTube celebrities that they watch are, they yeah. cross the gamut, yeah. this c- complete spectrum of racial demographics, sexuality de- yeah. demographics. And I think that that kind of availability to what maybe if you were living in an area where you didn't have that availability to you, yeah, just in your living surroundings, you're now you have ready access to online. Yeah. Well, I think um, somebody asked me, like, why do you think there's this, you know, much more um, prevalence of, you know, kids who are out in grade school or trans kids in grade school? And m- my assumption is they have language now that sure. we didn't have. Yeah. You know, like. That's a big part of it. Like the best people could do when I was growing up in grade school was feel different, which is terrible. Right. Right. Not and not have anywhere to go like, well, I feel like X or mm-hmm. Y or Z mm-hmm. or LGBT, you know, whatever it is. And having language changes your perceptions. Yeah. It changes your understanding. It changes your options. And, you know, to my kids, these words were there. There are people that fulfill the image of those words and it's all fine mm-hmm. by them, mm-hmm. which I, I, you know, I applaud them all. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about, so that's a little about just Gen Z and their mindset in yeah. general. Um, you know, we, we, we pulled a, uh, I think it's about 500. Yeah. Uh, Gen Zs. And just ask them kind of a wide swath of questions just about what kind of devices they use, technology. Uh, when they think they're going to have these, you know, life moments. Yeah. And, um, you know, the first little bit I think we're going to talk about today is, is just in general, their attitude and perception about devices. Yeah. Now, these are kids that now have, you know, the iPhone showed up in 2008. So they spent the better majority of their childhood with a device yeah. around. Yeah. Uh, and a smart device, a smartphone, that, that class of device, or iPads. Um, so what, what, what did we get out of that? So ultimately, we see, the, like, we, we ask them not only what are they using today, and um, they're actually on the devices, they say at least, less than millennials say they're on devices, although millennials are working now. So like that increases your usage anyway. So Mm -hmm. it's yet to be seen whether this will translate into less time as they get older. Yeah. But that when you ask them like how many hours a day, you know, it's it's like considerably less. And what's interesting is when you ask them, well, what do you think you're going to be using in five years? And what do you think you're not going to be using in five years? Unquestionably that like iPads and tablets and uh, even laptops and, you know, not surprisingly, television, you know, I don't think I'm going to be using a TV five years from now. Yeah. Not totally, obviously, but definitely in in diminishing uh, uh, amounts. And so what will be interesting is if they're using all these devices less, if they're um, kind of online less, how does it change how we create products, right? So we've talked before about Marriott creating all of these features for millennials and the question is are they going to have to redo the entire lobby of all these buildings again you know uh, (laughs) hotels 
because the, they were tailored to this one demographic and just 10 years behind now are a group of more conservative folks. And I don't know what the difference yeah. is going to be, but it just begs a the question. They, they feel like radically different uh, psyches. Yeah. And it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. I think there's a real attraction to the analog uh, for these kids that grew up, you know, with their faces kind of planted in iPads because it's something that is attractive because it maybe is something they haven't had as much experience with. Or I think for particularly the millennial generation was about moving to like a digital experience, right? Oh, that's cool. It's new. That's interesting. That pendulum is is swinging back hard against that. One of the one of the funnier stories I have about kind of witnessing this was about a year ago. Uh, I take uh, the public transportation into Chicago every day, and I was sitting on a train car, um, and it was toward the end of the school year, and the car got filled with a class of uh, high schoolers. And, uh, you know, so they, I was like, oh, great, one, because this is my quiet commute, and now there's a bunch of high schoolers, you know, talking about whatever high schoolers talk about. But one of the more interesting things was there was a girl that had a Polaroid camera. And she was the star of the party. The absolute hands down had this Polaroid device and she was taking pictures and handing them out with her, to her friends just like you would do 30 years ago yeah. and was the life of the party. And they loved, they were loving this like camera and having something real world material to take away with them back into their lives and yeah. hang it on their wall. I'm putting all that on them because I don't maybe know. Maybe they just threw all the pictures out. Well, I, I doubt it. I doubt it because it's special and it's finite, you know? And there's one of them. Yes. So, uh, you know, to add to that, um, my daughters and I were just in Berlin and one of my daughters was staying with a German student for a week before we got there. And same thing. The German student who likes photography pulls out a Polaroid. But yeah, it's the same thing. Like her motivation was, I want to do, this is way cooler than right. the camera on my phone. Right. Um, another uh, interesting thing that I've seen and I haven't played with is the Nintendo Labo, mm. where they make the yes. um, Switch kind of peripherals out of cardboard. Right. Right. So you can make a piano that is, you know, plays, you know, music from your Switch, a Gundam kind of, you right. know, bodysuit where you're, you know, moving people yeah, on there's screen. Like, there's like strings and yeah. levers and gears. And it's fascinating and... to me that, and I don't know if this is successful, but it's obviously, you know, it's shown enough um, uh, promise, right, through testing or yeah. just watching trends that someone said, you know what? Uh, a little imagination is going to go a long way. We don't need VR or AR glasses. Like kids, we need R. <laughs> kids, reality, <yeah>. reality. Right. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, there's a lot to be said for you know when we played with our toys as kids. Like you know, I saw it was virtual reality in my head sure. when I had Absolutely. the Star Wars action figures, and you know, it costs a lot less to have a kid create all these things in their mind than a team of South Korean animators with you know Silicon Graphics workstation. Yeah. You know, I think. That is that kind of brings us back to the idea of innovating against this demographic. You know, Nintendo more than maybe the other platforms, platforms or development groups have always understood that how you interface with the controller with the game is almost as important as the game experience itself. Yeah. 
In fact, they put a higher premium on form factor of controller over how they're rendering. You know, like if you look at the Wii, the Wii maybe capped out at 720p, right? Where in the meantime, was it less? Yeah, it was standard definition. Was it standard def? Yeah. But with a framed in, there was a 16 by 9. Yeah. Yeah. uh, Aspect ratio. Where you had, at the same time, rolling out, right, systems that are prepping for, you know, 1080p, you know, now the systems are pumping out 4K native, like, in real time. Yeah. Um, and Nintendo's like, you know what, we're just going to go up to 1080p. Yeah. That's it, with the Switch. That's, a, that's enough. Yeah. Uh, but we're going to make a cool little controller that fits great in little kids' hands. Yeah. Um, and because if you're an adult and you're playing a Switch, I'm going to tell you, if you haven't done that, it's a little challenging. I mean, I don't have large hands, um, you know, like for some people that are maybe a little taller in stature, it's, it's tough. But Nintendo, they're looking at the kids coming up and what are they interested in? How are they interacting with the world and how can we design around that next generation? Well, it'll be interesting to see like what happens with online shopping, right? And yeah. If you watch, um, I think Amazon, of course, getting ahead of everybody uh prime wardrobe they're taking all they're kind of adopting the zappos model a little bit you can have these clothing items for like two weeks and send them back it is kind of interesting that they realize that it's not enough to have just the digital experience mm-hmm. anymore if they they know they'll sell more stuff if they let people touch the material yeah. and wear them and feel comfortable and um so it'd be interesting to see how much more of that happens i mean they're yeah. opening retail stores right They've killed off they all the other some, retail, yeah. but that just means they have cheap rent. Yeah, everything's cyclical, right? And that, that retail story is going to be interesting to see. You know, we're in a contraction period, right? Probably mostly due to Amazon to a part, but also to an overexpansion. You all drive around your homes and there's a strip mall and there's another strip mall and there's another strip mall and there's another strip mall. There's no way to fill all that with retail, yeah. right? And I think there was perhaps an over-exuberance during periods of high economic times and a great expansion of retail. And we're seeing a contraction of that. But there is still a strong place for tangible, real-world shopping experiences. And, you know, the smart retailers are looking at what do people get out of this experience they don't get online and capitalizing on that. So yeah. they're making their shopping experiences more about a place to be. Um, so I'll be curious to see for like those malls that survive, those retailers that survive, how does that transition into the post-retail apocalypse space? You know, the survivors will yeah. be stronger and smarter and we'll see what happens, what shakes out of that. Yeah, I don't think we can know what it's going to look like. That's what's interesting. No. Yeah, it's an interesting cycle. I'm um, getting back to to the Gen Z bit a bit, and because we, we've meandered yes. Yes. over here yes. to retail, let's come back to specifically their attitudes about devices and about um, uh, some of the you know your smart watches your yeah. smart glasses your smart this your smart that so they, um, they don't seem to be interested in wearables so when we like talk, everybody else like like <laughs> everyone else i think it's pretty clear that wearables are a notification uh yeah. addiction mechanism right and yeah. generally i think we hit peak notification we hit syndrome peak notifications and if you want your life back you, you don't buy an apple watch right right there there are a lot of benefits to it right yeah. so that you can you know, hey, you need to stand up. Here's your steps today. Like having yeah. some quantified kind of self-reporting. Yeah. I see that, but you, you know, it's on your phone anyway yeah. too. 
And it, to me, at least, I've always looked at it as I I turned off the notifications on my phone. Yeah. You can read the blog post. Likewise about it. here. And, and if you haven't done that, game changer. Yeah. I'm just telling you, <laughs> you could keep a couple. Like I keep, I still get texts. Yeah. Text messages and phone calls. Yes. Uh, agreed. But everything else is muted, and it is a wonderful way to live if you're not there already. <laughs> just it's a comes highly recommended to justin's agree turn, turn off, off your, your notifications. notifications and uh turn off this podcast yeah maybe it could be time it's time been talking for a while yeah well uh, thanks for listening okay bye everybody uh and bye, bye mark zuckerberg bye. oh snap no i wish i wish there were some repercussions i don't believe there will be any we'll see we'll see uh we may amend this podcast if we find out what happens today yeah okay bye-bye